Welcome to the Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Ryan Reynolds. I'll be stepping in as host for Josh Larkey, and I'm joined by the centerpiece of our Dynasty product and Ian Miller. Ian, we're going to dive right into your tight end rankings. I'm ready to get hurt again. Obviously, you're ready to get hurt again. Ari Mirov's even ready to get hurt again. Tell us about your standalone tight end in your first tier. Yeah, so the first guy that I have in tier number one and stands alone, as you said, in a tier is Kyle Pitts. Now, the reason for that may stump people because people got burnt last year. I mean, the guy put up less than 10 points per game in tight end premium formats. So we're talking about someone that didn't score a lot of points. Why on earth would he be your number one tight end? Well, let's look because his rookie season was just a year ago and is plenty relevant to us. As a rookie tight end, not a single rookie tight end has ever put up just a 15% target share and a 1.50 yards per team pass attempt. And Kyle Pitts smashed that as a rookie. He was generational from the jump. And then even if we talk about that second season, that was so horrid that he only scored nine points per game. It was so terrible that he did it on the only, he's the second tight end to put up a 28% target rate joining Mark Andrews, who I don't know if you know, Mark Andrews is really freaking good and still is. And we're talking about someone who didn't score a lot of fantasy points, yet all the peripherals are absolutely there. We're talking about a 22-year-old who has break fantasy football archetype. The only thing that needs to go right is just a moderate situation increase. And we're looking at someone who's continuously a tight end one, tight end two. My first ventures into sports speculation were through sports cars, which as we've discussed off air, that's something you should consider dabbling in, what, considering what you do. That's largely about appropriately an analyzing rookies and their situations. Pitts for me is unicorn talent, a one of one in terms of just like a talent perspective from the tight end position. My player comp to him was actually Plaxico Burris. And something that I found interesting was is that in Ari's recent piece, he mentions that the signing of John Smith might lead to more wide receiver reps for Pitts, which I think might actually be more of a natural fit than him. For him than as an inline tight end so i'm hoping his usage gets corrected because the sky is generally the limit for him long term he'd be the, at the top of my list too in your second and third team as well you have standalone players tell us about your profiles for mark andrews and travis kelsey yeah so the main reason that there's a tear break between those two is because when you talk like both have game breaking fantasy points that they're going to be scoring in 2023 now once you move on in dynasty we're talking about travis kelsey who is 34 years old granted he's easily projectable the tight end one and someone who finishes with the production as good as a top five wide receiver in a position where the tight end 12 scores basically what a wide receiver 36 does on the year so he is a cheat code and we know that that's the reason that at 34 years old you can be in a tier by yourself in tier three but the age is the reason when we talk about Mark Andrews, we are getting a very similar situation where you're talking about someone who can break fantasy football. What do I mean by that? Well, Mark Andrews in his third season had the highest target share ever for a tight end. In his fourth season, he had the highest target share ever for a fourth-year tight end. And you'll never guess what he did this last year in his fifth year. The highest target share for a fifth-year tight end ever. And we're talking about an offense that just added Todd Munkin as its offensive coordinator and now has Lamar Jackson who's probably going to be throwing a lot more than he usually does. So we're talking about an increase in overall passing volume by one of the best target earners we've seen of all time. Chopping in a tier four here. We're going to give you a little bit of a look behind the curtain when it comes to rankings. Generally speaking, one guy drives the rankings and then, you know, a group of people, maybe one other pushes back on certain things. And one thing that I thought that was very interesting here is that you had Friar move ahead of TJ Hawkinson. Before we get into that specifically, I've always loved Friermuth. He's a very well-rounded tight end. I thought I loved his landing spot in Pittsburgh. Hawkinson, 
I think Hoskinson's probably a better player. And for this particular season, he's in a better spot in Minnesota. But after this year, Kirk Cousins might not be the Vikings quarterback anymore. They could have some quarterback volatility for his team. Give me your thoughts on both players. So the thing with TJ Hawkinson is that, yes, I had a hard time ranking him because we know who TJ Hawkinson is. Yes, as Ryan said, he's going to be someone who's going to be good in 2023. He'll score as an upper echelon, higher tight end, one type, top 12 for sure. But the thing is, we're talking about someone who we know who they are, and there's a limited ceiling. We're talking about someone who's running about 80% of route participation, which is really high in what you like to see for tight ends. And he's still kind of sealing out at 20% target share in his fourth and fifth or in his uh, third and fourth seasons. We know who TJ Hawkinson is and he's someone who's good, but there is a ceiling that he's probably not going to get to because he doesn't have amazing uh, athleticism and neither does Fryermuth, but Fryermuth is going into year three. When we take things like peripherals that we've talked about, like target share, receiving grade, yards per team, pass attempt, when we put those all together for Pat Fryermuth going into year three, he has a range of outcomes that has Zach Ertz, Aaron Hernandez, and Owen Daniels. And while this has nothing to do with being a murderer, it has to do with being a really good tight end on the football field. So the difference for me with Hawkinson that I'm having trouble with is that with Hawkinson or with Fryermuth, we don't exactly know what that ceiling is, and there's still a very high one. Like all the guys I mentioned have had a 17-plus point per game season. With Hawkinson, we basically know what we're getting, and that's a high floor but a lower ceiling. So it's kind of how you play the game that determines which one of those guys you like. I like that. I'm more of an upside player, so you might have convinced me a little bit on that one, man. Finishing out, rounding out tier four for Ian is Dallas Goddard and George Kittle. Ian has a write-up on Kittle on the site for his tight end rankings. You can find that at the 3013.com. Ian's finished all of his quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end rankings. You can find them all there. Now, moving into tier five, this is a cluster of young guns where you have Greg Dolchich on top. I discussed this with Alex Caruso yesterday. I'm a Giants fan. The Giants had a needed tight end last year. I was not very happy when they passed on Greg Dolchich. I'm a Greg Dolchich guy. Love his talent. Love his outlook for this season. Give me your thoughts on him. I simply do not understand the Greg Dulcich consensus ranking, if you will, because everyone, especially nowadays in the dynasty market, loves to shoot for that upside. In fact, they factor a little bit too much upside in when you're talking about value. The thing with Greg Dulcich, who's just going into his second year, is that you're talking about a tight end who's going into his second year and was fantastic as a rookie, and there's basically none of that upside woven into his value which doesn't make sense. And maybe it's from a quote where people thought that Sean Payton might hate this guy. But then just the other day he comes out with a quote that says that he basically loves this guy and he's like a unicorn in his offense. So I think just relying off someone's word where he maybe he think hates a guy is not a good reason to devalue them. Because when we look at the numbers and we talk about Greg Dulcich, he was a tight end last year who put up 10 points per game while doing it on an average depth of target deeper than nine yards, which is pretty good for a tight end. What you like to see is that they earn targets because not a lot of tight ends do, and they earn them deep downfield, which helps for your fantasy production. He became just the fourth rookie tight end to do that, joining Rob Gronkowski, Kyle Pitts, and Evan Ingram. And all those guys were valued much, much higher than a 12th round startup ADP. Simply does not make sense. And now he's going to have Sean Payton and Russell Wilson helping him in that offense, I simply do not understand why Greg Dulcich has such a low ADP. And the other thing, too, is the Denver Broncos offense was borderline non-functioning last year, so we can reasonably expect Sean Payton to fix that a little bit. And if Russell Wilson bounces back, that can be nothing but a positive for Dulcich. The rest of your tier is made up of rookies. You wrote up Dalton Kincaid and Michael Mayer on the site. Why don't you give us quick thoughts on both of them? 
Well, I think both of them are kind of top tight ends of this class. You're talking about the tight end one and tight end two of this class. Now, the thing is they're valued so much differently despite going about 10 picks apart. One went in the first round, one went in the second round. And the thing is I'm lower on Kincaid than probably consensus. And why is that, you may ask? Well, first of all, I think there's way too much projecting when it comes to his athleticism. Like there's nothing super special there. And even if you take his 40-time projection, you still don't get some amazing athlete. So that right there is something that you want to see from a tight end that we didn't exactly get from Kincaid. Now we got the first round draft capital, but here's another thing. I see people talk about him. Maybe he'll be what we thought Pitts could be. Do you guys understand that Dalton Kincaid is already a year older than Kyle Pitts? And Kyle Pitts has played two seasons in the NFL. Like when we talk about the meaningful production that Dalton Kincaid was putting up, he was putting up similar numbers to Kyle Pitts at that age, but one was in the NFL and one was in college. So you're talking about someone who broke out very late in college and doesn't have high-end athleticism. While the draft capital will likely lead to a higher floor in production, especially in that offense, this is someone where I'm not sure what the projectable ceiling is unless we see some amazing year one. And even then, I think that's a bit of an outlier for a typical first-round tight end, if that. Michael Mayer is a pretty similar story, but you don't have that value absolutely molded into it. And the other thing is, Michael Mayer was an early declare. Like He is also someone who's two years younger the Dalton Kincaid and was awesome for Notre Dame last year. That's dynasty underscore I am for those interested in following Ian on Twitter. And you all should be, I'm going to give you a, qu- a couple quick thoughts on both guys for Kincaid. When I first watched him, he actually struck me as more of a wide receiver than a tight end. And one thing that I find very interesting about this situation is Dawson Knox is in Buffalo for until at least 2025. He's making 10 million plus a year on average. He's going to play. So I know the popular thought is that Kincaid's going to see reps in the slot. I don't know how long that's going to take. Obviously, they didn't spend a first-round pick on a tight end to not use him, but I think that situation, there's a lot to work out there still. With Meyer, Meyer's a bit like Fryermuth in the sense like he's just a rock-solid player, not really crazy about his landing spot, but in terms of like betting on the profile, as you say, I think he's one of those guys who's a very safe floor option. Also, when I ask you about Sam Laporta, I know when we were doing the rookie draft PDF guide, and I was I had quarterback and tight end and I was looking at film on Laporta and it you know I'm very big on player comps because I think it gives people a visual of like what this guy's capable of and he was very very he was he was probably the toughest guy in the whole process for me to nail especially since I liked them then I saw that Thor Nystrom comped him to Owen Daniels which I personally loved I think we'd all be, we're all pretty happy about his landing spot in Detroit he has a clear path to early playing time what's your thoughts on Laporta in general Now, I think Laporte is a lot closer to Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid than people want to say. And the NFL told us that, too. They took him above Michael Mayer. They took him in between the two. So the NFL is telling us the same thing that we're believing, that Sam Laporte is probably pretty good. And then when you look at ADP, even in rookie drafts, Sam Laporte was someone going at the end of the second in the third round. Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid were going in the first round for Kincaid a little higher, for Mayer sometimes early second, but they were nowhere close to each other. We talk about Sam Laporte, we're talking about someone who got picked one pick in front of Michael Mayer in the very early second round. We're talking about someone at Iowa who had back-to-back 20-plus target shares, which is something from a tight end perspective. You don't usually see a lot of production. And so when you can add production, solid athleticism, which is something that he most definitely had, his relative athletic score was 9.02. So he was in basically the 90 percentile athlete in terms of tight ends. So you're talking about we've got athleticism on our side. We've got a solid production profile at Iowa on our side. And the NFL also likes him, and they showed us that. So why is he he's, is he valued so much lower than a Michael Mayer or Dalton Kincaid? I think he's one of those things where there's no such thing as you know a great hit rate for someone like that. 
especially a tight end. But there's no reason that all that upside should be completely irrelevant. When you're talking about taking Michael Mayer, rounds in front of where you would take Sam Laporta. Let me talk to you about overall strategy a little bit here. Since we just talked about a cluster of guys, three rookies, one second-year player, they all have pretty interesting upside. But again, any rookie is an unknown. In like a you know one for one type situation where you're getting like a general like even value across a trade, would you rather have more of a short thing that's more of a short thing that's a little older, or would you rather take your shot on one of these upside guys at the same position? I think it just depends what that upside is, which a lot of people can have trouble doing is just saying the word upside. What does that exactly mean to you? Because in this next cluster, I know we're going to talk about, and there's definitely upside, and I would almost guarantee that all three of these guys we're going to talk about probably score the best group of this rookies next season in 2023. That's not even close to a hot take. But the thing is we know who these guys are. And so when you're talking about upside, yes, they are guys who are going to be tight end or in the top 12 of tight ends. They're going to finish there most likely because we've seen that they can be good, but in the unknown and we have good prospects, we're basically with these guys, we're shooting for an upside of, can they be a George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, even an Owen Daniels who's had a 17-plus point-per-game season because those are really, really meaningful in terms of uh, tight end production because, well, they help your fantasy team win lots of games. These guys will just make sure that your team doesn't uh, drown, if that makes sense. There he is, pulling stats from Owen Daniels, where I don't exactly remember how long ago he retired. That's the kind of guy he is. Again, <laughs> dynasty underscore IM. Here's six for your tight ends. We're looking at athletic veterans. That's how I'd frame them. Darren Waller is almost 31 years old. He goes to a Giants team where he could be their primary catch pass catcher, probably is their primary pass catcher. But Evan Ingram didn't really work with Daniel Jones in New York. Granted, we have a different coaching staff, but I think there's at least a little bit more volatility there than most people are thinking. Evan Ingram's almost 29 years old playing on a franchise tag. He had his breakthrough season last year with Trevor Lawrence. Kind of a similar player to Waller. I think Waller's a bit of a better, well-rounded athlete where Ingram might be faster. The guy that I really like out of this group is David Njoko. He's about to turn 27. He could be getting the best quarterback play of his career in Deshaun Watson this year. Granted, if Watson returns to Ford. Talk to me about the Njoko, talk to me about Njoko and give me any thoughts on the other two guys if you have them. Yeah, I think you had a really good point there that he could be playing with the best quarterback of his career, which is likely playing with Deshaun Watson. Now, the thing about these tight ends that we talked about, he just had a career season in year six of his career with an 18% target share and 12.2 points per game. That's pretty solid and definitely puts you in tight end one type range like we talked about. Now, the thing with these tight ends where you're talking about someone who's not going to overly dominate and get higher target shares than an alpha wide receiver or anything like that, what we're looking for is good situations. And with the Cleveland Browns, where Deshaun Watson could return to form, you're talking about a situation where the tight end, the starting tight end, David Njoku, who's shown last year that he could break out solid athleticism and could earn a valuable amount of targets. What you have when you go to a good situation is the chance for a high touchdown rate, which is something we see a little bit more often from tight ends. I like to call it the Robert Tunyon effect where tight ends, because of how scarce scoring is, they can rely on touchdowns. So imagine a guy like Njoku, where he's actually shown that he has the ability to earn a higher amount of targets at an 18% target share last season. Now add a very efficient touchdown rate, and you're talking about someone who could easily finish in the top five. I don't personally love Njoku because you're talking about a late career breakout and a not totally known offense or that the efficiency is going to be spectacular. But I definitely like him, especially amongst this cluster of guys. 
That's one of the things I like love about your process, actually, is you talk about betting on profiles or buying profiles. So you have Nujoku in like a bucket, essentially, but you also see him as a guy who has that athletic ability that could maybe put him into another bucket for next year. I love that about what you do. Moving on to Tier 7, more volatile players here. Ian has write-ups on Jelani Woods, Luke Schoonmaker. We're going to botch this one here, fellas. Shigozim Okonkwa. Oof. I, I, got out of, I got through that one pretty decent. I'm curious what you think about Packers tight end Luke Musgrave out of that group. He hits a lot of really important check uh, marks that we're looking for in tight ends. Now, he doesn't have some flawless or even good production profiles where this kind of comes like, why would you like a guy that has never even put up a 15% target share? I know we've talked about him. And we've been like, man, he didn't do like anything at Oregon State aside from a yeah. game or two. And the thing with tight ends is it's the one position as prospects where I allow myself to like a guy that basically didn't do anything in college. Because what we've seen in the NFL is that rookie tight ends already don't really do anything. Like even the good ones now, like Travis Kelsey didn't do anything as a rookie. Mark Andrews didn't do anything meaningful as a rookie. George Kittle didn't do anything meaningful as a rookie. Like rookie tight ends are not commonly good. So we're talking about a position where there's clear development. Now the thing that we like to see, like basically was true with all those guys, was very high athleticism. That's something Luke Musgrave has. 9.78 raw, uh, relative athletic score, a 4.61 40 time, and 115.4 height adjusted speed score. That's all really good and really athletic uh, for a tight end, something that we love to see. Then add that the fact that the NFL liked him. They took him in the second round. So while we don't have the production profile, we have a second rounder who has shown that he has elite athleticism. If the development takes underway and we shouldn't be expecting anything year one, you could be looking at someone that returns your third round rookie pick investment into a lot more. I'm going to add on to something there real quick. You mentioned George Kittle. George Kittle had so little production in college. He actually didn't make my threshold to even watch him. And, you know, <laughs> he's one of the most talented tight ends to ever play the game. So I love your stance there. That makes a lot of sense. I'm also going to ask you about Schoonmaker. That's kind of a crowded situation in Dallas where we saw Dalton Schultz, where I wouldn't think either of us view him as like a you know remarkable athlete. But he was pretty productive there. They have kind of similarly talented players, but Schoonmaker has much higher draft capital. What do you make of that whole situation? Um, he is actually, uh, for rookie season of all rookies, he's my most rostered slash drafted rookie because he was someone that you could get in the fourth round of rookie drafts even and you're talking about a similar thing to musgrave where yeah he didn't do much at michigan but you're talking about a freak athleticism profile that the nfl liked and took him in the second round and then like you mentioned he's now on dallas knowing how dynasty works dallas has a lot of primetime games all it takes is a schoonmaker touchdown basically as a rookie and that value is worth a lot more than just a fourth round pick that's basically meaningless so he's he's at the position or value that he's currently at he's someone where it's easily easily someone you see paying off that value i love that stance man i use that in awards market to say like Joe Burrow has a Monday night football game coming next week. I know that's going to have a greater impact on, on betters and even voters because everyone's going to see it if he pops off. So I, I love that. If you want to read Ian's write up on Chico Zimo Conquo, I can't believe I put myself through that twice. Check out the 33rd team.com. Now tier eight, we've got a few interesting guys here. Cole Komet, Dalton Schultz. They're a little ugly. Give me, give me a couple quick hits on those guys. I mean, it's kind of that thing where like, we know who they are essentially. And it's even if they hit, you're talking about someone with a low ceiling. Like when you talk about Cole Komet, he had a breakout year last year and it all amounted to nothing. Not only because the offense he's on, but it wasn't meaningful production. Like you're still talking about a sub 20% target share 
things aren't exactly looking great for him. And he's not in a situation where that's he's going to get that super high efficiency and passing volume or in touchdown rate, most likely. And so you're talking about someone that I believe is entering their fourth year off the top of my head. And we're pretty sure that they're a very low ceiling, even if they hit their highest projectable outcome. It's still not something that likely matters. And you're not getting it from an offense that we expect to score points. Like tight ends, like I said, the Robert Tunyon effect, they don't even have to be that good to end up in top 12 status. So if I'm investing in a guy that I'm sure is probably not very good, I'd rather do it on a guy that's actually could score touchdowns. I like it. I like it. I like it. On the top of this tier, you have a second-year tight end that won the Mackey Award in college. Give me your thoughts on Trey McBride. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a lot lower on Trey McBride than probably a lot of people. And the reason that I at least still like him enough is because who he was as a prospect. And we talk about how, well, we shouldn't expect much from prospects as they are or rookie tight ends from prospects because, well, they just typically don't do a whole lot. And that was true for Trey McBride. Now, there's a few things that I think get a little messed up, and that's like, he was behind Zach Ertz. How could he have possibly done anything? Well, we've seen tight end. If a tight end's good, they will emerge. Basically, we'll see at least a target rate that's pretty solid on their few routes that they're running. But the thing is, we never saw that with Trey McBride. In fact, when we talk about a target rate for Trey McBride, we're talking about 12.3%. That's just okay when you're on the field. Like Someone like Okonkwo was even better as a rookie, and he also was in there for limited time. And when we have a range of outcomes for Trey McBride that basically shows us that the most likely outcome is that he's a nothing and we're purely relying on a prospect profile that was just solid, nothing that was elite or anything like that, nothing that said this guy is for sure going to have production. So when we're kind of valuing that prospect profile a lot more than we're weighing what the year one for him, that's when I have trouble buying it. I do major high volume best ball. We're talking 300, 500 teams a year. I've been taking more Trey McBride than I probably should have. One of the things I love about one of the things I look for in good content is a stance that can make you kind of recalibrate or make you rethink your own. That's what you just gave me on Trey McBride. Let's jump to Juwan Johnson real quick. Derek Carr's in town. Darren Waller had some pretty good years in in with Derek Carr. I'm not sure I'd compare Juwan Johnson one for one as an athlete to Darren Waller, but give me some thoughts on Juwan Johnson. I think he's okay. I mean, he's still someone where we don't exactly know what the ceiling is because we're talking about right. someone that played wide receiver in college and is just now making the transition to be a tight end. And he was solid last year. I mean, a 13.5% target share. He had a PFF receiving grade right around 70. And he was at least used like in the routes quite a bit more. He was just under 70% route participation. So there's some encouraging things there. But it's there's nothing that sticks out to me with Juwan Johnson where it's like, okay, this guy has a ceiling that you should definitely be investing in. He's more so just like an okay option that'll be in an all right offense. This is a guy that I'm, I'm very curious to see what you think about him because this is kind of like a semi-unique situation at least. I love Darnell Washington as a player. He's kind of, you know, everyone says that he's like a sixth offensive lineman more than a pass catcher, but he also played with Brock Bowers in college. He was, you know, probably would have went before any tight end in this year's draft if he came out. I, I think he's a fascinating athlete. That said, he's blocked by Pat Fryermuth for at least two years, probably longer than that. What do you do about a guy? Because it seemed like you were actually a little bit higher than consensus on him in, in your rankings, which I, I would be too. What do you do about a guy in this kind of situation? Yeah, so at this point, he's basically like that fourth round rookie draft, very late, basically worth nothing in the dynasty format right now. And when we're talking about guys that are worth absolutely nothing, 
we're looking at their profile and saying, all right, which one of these guys could actually break through them? Like that has a ceiling to be worth something. And like we talked about earlier, when you have athletic tight ends, then that, I mean, that in itself creates a ceiling that could totally be there. So Darnell Washington, we are talking about a freak athlete and your point on uh, that he, I mean, Brock Bowers absolutely would be the tight end one drafted in this last class. I mean, right now I have him as an elite prospect in the model and it's only pumped out three elite tight ends before. And that would be Kyle Pitts, Vernon Davis, and Rob Gronkowski. So like Brock Powers, a hundred percent, you understand why there's not a ton of production on the tight end behind him. Totally understand where you're coming from. And that's, I mean, no, not having production is clearly why we're not in love with Darnell Washington. But like you said, when you have a freak athlete who, no matter the situation, there is a ceiling there. And to go from worth absolutely nothing, you can see the path to having value in Dynasty. Love it. Agree completely. Totally across the board. You have two more tiers filled with either aging players or young tight ends with uncertain futures. I'm going to just pick one out of that group. Noah fan stuck Noah fan stuck out to me because he's kind of in between both areas. He's only 25.88 years old, I believe, is what you had in your profile. He was a former first-round pick, kind of a dynamic athlete that really hasn't panned out to this point. The other problem is in Seattle, there's a ton of target competition where they even split work with tight ends. I think like if he went to the right team, he could still be pretty interesting, kind of like a, a worse a worser case scenario to what Njoku's been gone through in his career. But what do you think on Noah Fan? It's funny you brought up Njoku because I was going to bring up that that's a great comparison between the two. And another thing that stands true and David and Joku showed it is with tight ends. There's no clear breakout age or breakout time in the NFL where like, Hey, if this wide receiver doesn't break out after his second or third year, he's probably nothing. Now, when you're talking about tight ends, we've seen random breakouts and especially those from freak athletes, which is something that Noah fan was. He was also a good prospect like David and Joku. You're talking about good project uh, prospect, really good athleticism profile. Those guys are the ones that have shown that they, while it's not likely can break out later down the road. And the thing with Noah fans, we've actually seen him earn a fair amount of targets in Denver, put up solid production. Now, it wasn't what we had hoped for in terms of a ceiling, but we at least saw it. And obviously that all came to a pretty, pretty clashing uh, a fall there in Seattle last year with all the targets. And they just added Jackson Smith and Jigba. So, yes, it's not a friendly situation. Like you said, it's something where we have a tight end who has shown that he is capable before. He has athleticism on his side, and he's not overly old by any means. It's not too hard to see him go to a different situation. All of a sudden, you're getting close to meaningful tight end production. Look for Ian's rankings, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. They're all in the books on the 33rdteam.com. Let's close this out with one question. We know you're ready to get hurt again with Kyle Pitts. We know that you like Greg Dolchitz. What's another buy low tight end that you're targeting right now in dynasty well we talked about athleticism we've talked about solid prospect profiles and we've talked about showing capability as a rookie and there's a guy who while the range of outcomes is not perfect at the top of his range of outcomes we have jimmy graham mark andrews austin hooper dallas goddard and kyle rudolph i would say all those guys were pretty good in fantasy football and who's the guy who has all those guys at the top of his range of outcomes it's jelani woods